cryptocurrencies have turned money into a communications protocol, which makes every communications device a banking system. Not a bank account, a bank. When you have a smartphone with cryptocurrencies in your pocket, you don't have a Swiss bank account in your pocket, as Obama famously said. You are a Swiss banker. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything in this show is in the show notes. Uh, You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. So this episode, we are covering a bunch of news from all around the technology world. We're going to talk about where Bitcoin's at. Yeah, we are also going to cover Facebook containers in our privacy and security segment. Facebook containers? Yeah, it's a, it's a nifty little add-on you can get on the Firefox browser. Very good for quarantining Facebook. Which is exactly where it should Stop be. Stop it getting all up in your business. So what have you been up to the last couple of weeks, mate? Um, so I have been binging uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, the Bitcoin um, speaker, mm. delivers these incredible talks. I've... You know, I didn't. I'd heard his name for years, and I'd seen bits and pieces, but I'd never really fully given him the time of day. Yep. And then I jumped in. Yep. And it was great. It's it's brilliant. He's one of the first the guys that I first looked up on YouTube videos wow. when I got into Bitcoin. And th- there's these videos. I don't know what you came across when you looked, but there's like videos of him from like 2012, 2013, talking to classes of or rooms of people at meetups and there's only like two or three people in the room, you know, and mm. he's just like evangelizing <laughs> Bitcoin and crypto and the power of it all. And uh, he's been, a yeah, just, just a big fountain of knowledge for so long. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. yeah, so I'm actually really keen on getting his book on the yeah. technical, what was it, Mastering Bitcoin Mastering or something? Bitcoin. It's, yeah, all yeah. on the technical underpinnings of it which is which sounds really cool so what were some of the videos that you watched from him then oh i watched his introduction to bitcoin because i figured you know it's always nice watching what people's introductions are i've watched some of his bitcoin five years on sort of stuff um a few different compilations of things a few other random bits and pieces but he's got such a brilliant way of discuss because he talks about it on so many different levels yeah um whether it's on you know government control of finance which is something that is quite dear to many people's hearts here in the cryptocurrency community. Um, And yeah, just the way he ties that all back in and he, he sort of weaves a thread where he's talking about, you know, how many people do you know who who, um, go around on horses as their primary mean of transport? And he says, that's exactly the same as what was going to happen with credit cards. I mean, it's like when you're in a shop and you're you're queuing up and then the person at the front of the queue takes out a checkbook and everyone in the queue is suddenly sighs and like, ugh. Yeah. He said, that's going to be the people with credit cards in the future, which is so interesting. And just talking about, yeah, just brilliant. Oh, Um, that's great. A few different ones. Yeah, Yeah, brilliant. Well, we're going to discuss Bitcoin in a lot more depth, uh, where things are at and where the 
where things are going with it uh, later on the episode. So we'll um, we'll dig more into mm. that when we get there. Mm. Um, I've been to a few meetups as well, uh, which we'll cover later. And um, yeah, I'm still waiting for internet. It's been four weeks, and uh, yeah, it will be within 24 to 48 hours. I will it's have internet. Per- perpetually been twenty four to forty eight hours. Like twenty four to forty eight hours is, is <laughs> it's, hope. it's the new four weeks. <laughs> uh, what about yourself? Yeah, um, I've been waiting for you to get internet as well, Joe. Um, it's funny we did the Star Citizen episode, and and you know Joe got really really excited and ready to install, and then you uh, just haven't been able to play because you haven't had any Still internet, and I haven't internet. been able to play with you, so. Yeah, um, apart from waiting for you to get internet, I also <laughs> went to a, uh, a meetup, which we'll talk about later. Uh, and I've really just been doing a lot of legal work uh, recently. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're, we're into the year now and there's a lot of different things going on. Um, it's been some interesting stuff. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing some, Anything you can talk about? Uh, not in a lot of specifics, but I am doing some work in the uh, security token space, Ooh. which is... Yeah, very interesting. There's a lot of unique regulatory issues in that space and a mm-hmm. lot of uh, things that just haven't really been contemplated by many people before. Um, but, yeah, incredibly interesting. Um, and I'm, in, I'm enjoying that. And, yeah, been, been a few other things going on. But, yeah, uh, yeah that's basically been my life um, oh, last mate. couple of weeks. It's a lot of legal work. We'll have to pick your brains on some of that in a, <laughs> oh, down, down the track. Yeah, yeah. I'll probably run um, at least one meetup here in Brisbane on the security token stuff. Cool. Um, so if you are in Brisbane, you can look forward to that with the Blockchain for Business meetup. Otherwise, yeah, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss it here on the podcast too. Awesome. Cool. Let's get into it. This podcast is not investment or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. Yeah, so full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, and cryptocurrencies, some of which we do talk about on this show. But if we talk about any type of investment product, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and... Avoid the fear of missing out. If you're new around here and new to blockchain and cryptocurrency, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues on until around about episode eight. Uh, It gives you some of the fundamentals, a bit of grounding, and uh, helps you understand what on earth we're talking about. All right, let's get into the news. So first bit of news, Visa and MasterCard are planning now to increase transaction fees while cryptocurrency, it just seems that they're getting lower and lower. Yeah, so um, yeah, they're putting their transaction fees up for US merchants who accept card payments. Um, Interestingly, in Q4 uh, of 2018, Visa's profits rose to 2.85 billion and MasterCard's to 1.9 billion, which is interesting because both of them increased their profits by 33% compared to the same time the previous year. That's a really significant rise too, especially with consideration to all the challenges that are that are popping up, it almost seems counterintuitive. If you've between uh, we've got Pay ID here in Australia now, which is which is one thing, and uh, there's a number of other methods of interfacing with the banks that don't involve Visa and Mastercard. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's also crypto, obviously, and mm. uh, and the merchant fees are generally a lot lower for that stuff, mm. even with the point of sale software. Than, uh, than Visa and MasterCard. So it seems a little bit counterintuitive. 
Mm. Yeah, with the crypto, merchants can take payments directly into some type of account, which is theirs, mm. um, without anyone tacking anything on. If they really want to, they just got to put up a QR code, someone scans it, away you go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. Maybe we'll look back on that in five and ten years and say that's when merchants really began getting fed up with Visa and look for something else. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. So, next bit of news, and this is a... Uh, I don't know how to react to this one. JP Morgan, who Jamie Dimon, who, who is the founder of JP Morgan, famously said a couple of years ago that he thought Bitcoin was a scam. Huh. Uh, they have now made their own cryptocurrency. Yeah. So, yeah, going into the MIT technology review, they were saying that the bank intends to use the new coin to settle payments between big institutions and it will be redeemable one-to-one for US dollars. Um, yeah, JPM coin will be issued on their own private blockchain. Yeah, the bank intends to use the new coin to settle payments between big institutions and will be redeemable at a one-to-one peg to US dollars. The computers that validate the transactions yeah, have to have permission to use the, the network. So the, the JPM coin is using a essentially a private version of Ethereum called Quorum, which JP Morgan have built and they've been using for a fair while now and they've been trying to convince other uh, companies and banks to to get on their quorum framework, but uh, it, yeah, it'll be a permission ledger. They will call the shots. They'll have complete control over it. It's it's essentially just a a ledger, another ledger for the bank with a little bit of extra functionality. Yeah. So yeah, CCN were pretty um, critical. They said, "Someone please let Jamie Dimon know that his new cryptocurrency is a fraud." So they said, "All that's happening with JPM Coin." is a client gives JP Morgan a dollar and JPM's computer remembers it gave them a dollar and that they're obligated to give it back when the customer wants to redraw it, which is exactly how it works right now before this even Mm. happened. Clients are given money and they give it back when they ask for it. It's just called banking. Yeah, so I don't really know what they're proposing the use for this is. Uh, Look, the one use I could see for it is for companies using the Quorum platform. It may be an easy way for them to delineate their smart contracts and have money changing hands between businesses in a form that's comfortable for those businesses because they could say, look, it's pegged to US dollar one-to-one, we'll back it. But at that point, you've got to ask, well, why do you even need – to, to use that system at all. If it's a private ledger, JP Morgan control it. You're still entering and exiting through them. Uh, what's the point? JPM, really? the trusted <laughs> name in cryptocurrency. <laughs> oh, and yeah, CCN played this. Listen up. Come to the center of the room, please. This is a shroot buck. When you have done something good, you will receive one shroot buck. 1,000 shroot bucks equals an extra five minutes for lunch. What is the cash value of a shroot buck? Excellent question, Pam. One one hundredth of a cent. So 10,000 of your dollars is worth one real dollar? Just zip your lid. Oh, I love Dwight. (laughs) Next up, a major Philippine bank just put a computer screen into a bank and called it a crypto ATM. Yeah, so this comes out of CCN as well. Um, And according to local publications, the Union Bank of the Philippines, one of the largest commercial banks in the Philippines, has launched what they are calling the country's first crypto ATM. And uh, there's a picture. Just says 
crypto ATM coming soon. Yeah, and it, it just looks like a little platform with a with a screen on it. Yeah, but to be fair, uh, Union Bank CEO um, Edwin uh, Bautista um, is well recognised for his enthusiasm towards crypto. Uh, according to the article, yeah, he was. Uh, he showcased a GPU-based Bitcoin mining kit at uh, the Business World Economic Forum um, in 2018. So, yeah, apparently they've been messing around with it and here we are. Yeah, and I guess as long as it's offering real crypto and not some kind of bank-backed digital mm. currency mm. like we keep seeing out of many of these banks now, then it's probably okay. It's probably actually really good that a bank is saying, come here to buy your Bitcoin. Mm. I'm, I'm all aboard that. If banks started doing that here in Australia, I reckon... That'd be a really good set, mm, mm-hmm. as long as it's just that, <laughs> just buying Bitcoin <laughs> and JPM coin. <laughs> Next bit of news: Major automotive companies have been talking about blockchain standardization. Uh, so, car manufacturing giants uh, like BMW, GM, and Ford have come together to discuss um, standardization measures in the car in the car industry. Um, so, yeah, it was at some you know event in Europe somewhere, but um, yeah. Pretty interesting sign. Standardization is pretty important because yeah. it means you're not having Hyundai's on Hyundai blockchain and you know Fiat on the Fiat blockchain, which yep. shuts down to sleep in the afternoon because it's having a siesta. You know, just yeah. I got a real interest in watching what comes out of this, so what conclusions they draw about mm. what kind of platforms they should consider running on, what they're actually wanting to achieve with this stuff, because. It's, it's, it's weird hearing car manufacturers talk about this stuff because you, you, you're kind of wondering, well, what what are you going to do on the blockchain mm. if you're a car manufacturer? Mm. So I'm really interested to mm. see what comes out of that because yeah. um, I, I, like just sitting here, I can't really think of many uses for them currently. So you could have like a register of the owner. Um, That's so like very a true. ownership registry, maybe a service log, yep. service registry, something like that. That would be kind of interesting. Um but yeah, you know, when the oil was last filled up and things like that. Yeah. I guess the, yeah, definitely the, the you know, the VIN and the identification and that kind of stuff. If there was a centralized registry on a decentralized network like a blockchain, yeah, that could be really useful as like a common source of truth. As long as they don't have a common source of truth for when you were speeding. Yes. Well, that's coming. <laughs> Mate, a couple bits of virtual slash augmented reality slash virtual world sort of pieces of news. First up, um, live concert inside the Fortnite um, game drew more viewers than Woodstock. The fa- uh, Isn't that a famous music festival? Yeah, yeah, Woodstock's the one that I think it started in like the 60s oh, and yeah. everyone still goes to it. Oh. Um, but yeah, this is out of futurism.com and they said the wildly popular video game Fortnite made history on the 2nd of February with a live show by EDM artist Marshmallow that reportedly drew millions of viewers, which, for context, would be 25 times as many people who attended Woodstock in 1969. Yeah, so according to a tweet from um, Jeff Keighley, um, far from alone, sources are telling him that there were more than 10 million concurrent players watching the concert, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, and this all happened inside the game, which is just, I guess, another step for these kind of blended reality VR events. Um, I didn't even know Fortnite had the capability of doing this. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool just even seeing that, but they've, they've built that inside the game world and 10 million people logged into the game and essentially played the game to watch this, 
let alone all the people that were watching the streams online. So, yeah, what, what more can you say? I guess that's the world we live in. And what I'd be really interested to consider is, you know, what other bands begin looking at this as a viable way to run their concerts. Because at mm. the moment, there are so many costs associated with touring. And we feel it particularly here in Australia and me as someone who's been into a lot of smaller bands that are generally from the States or Europe, sometimes you have to wait 10 years between tours. Sometimes wow. they don't even come. You know, there's one band that fam- quite famously never came to Australia uh, that I was quite, that I was into because it was too far and they had a phobia about flying. And so that the furthest they go would be Europe. Yeah, there's always been a big problem living here in Australia and having bands come over and tour. But if I'm a band and I'm looking at this and I'm seeing 10 million people log into a game to watch a band play and ostensibly it sounds like it was pretty exciting too. It sounds like everyone enjoyed it, got a decent experience out of it. Well, I'm looking at that and I'm going, well, maybe we could tour Australia but tour it in VR, you know, like mm. hold a VR event mm. and just say to people – well, it's not even VR, I guess. So you can look at it from your computer screen. Mm. Um, but as this technology evolves and people are able to put on goggles to watch this stuff, it may actually feel like they're almost there. And if the sound's good enough... It's going to be insane. So could, you could almost imagine in Los Angeles, for example, they could set up a, a studio, just like a green screen room with a bunch of different cameras that are automated. Yep. You get your bands in there and their sound stuff and they stream around the world. You've got your phone. You just move it, move your phone around and you'll be able to look around or yep. you could have your own little character in 3D space, same on your computer. That would be wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it, it won't be the exact same experience as live. You know, you can't touch mm. them physically. Mm. They can't see you. Um, but it would it could be close enough especially if you've got a, a decent set of speakers mm. um, but there are some benefits too first of all you're not standing in a sweaty mosh pit with a bunch of other people you don't know you're kind of getting all their sweat and smells all over you mm-hmm. you're not having to stand there for hours waiting for the opening act with nothing else to do mm. um, you don't have to I've been at gigs before where I've been right up near the speaker and you come away and you can't hear out of one ear for like a few days because it's it was that noisy. Wow. Uh, you can control that stuff mm. in your own environment. You, know, you don't have to. You, you're in your own house. You can. You've got your own speaker system. You're watching it. Uh, you could maybe watch a replay instead of watching it live if you really mm. wanted to. There's a lot of benefits. And yeah, I get that we we get some of that experience with what being able to watch DVDs and watch concerts on TV or whatever. But this is the next step. This VR experience mm. where you can kind of be fully immersed and suspend enough reality that you almost feel like you're there. Wow. Because they could even, yeah, pick up your microphone so you could chat to the person who's standing next to you virtually. Yeah. And then together all of the little noises from everyone adds up to a bigger crowd. Yeah. So it could be kind of random. That would be weird. And you think about it too, like a band could make, they could sell tickets. They could still sell tickets if they yeah. wanted to. But the amount of money that bands spend on venue hire and travel and all those other costs, they could sell tickets for a lot less than what it costs to go to a, mm. a normal gig mm. and probably make more from it as well. 
Uh, not to mention the different ways that they could advertise things and all that kind wow. of stuff. Yeah, I think – look, I think that's a really underexplored area that's – I can guarantee you after this is going to get explored mm. a lot more mm. often. Mm. And hopefully it's, it means that you know bands can become more accessible to the rest of the world. Mm. I mean, I don't want to dwell on this story too long, yeah. but you're thinking a lot of the people playing this are kids, young yep. kids yep. who were born after 2000. Yeah. And this is the norm for them. Yeah. So it's not the norm for us, but it's the norm for them. Yeah. That's, they're never going to live in a world. It's like Andreas Antonopoulos. Yeah, he keeps going yeah. back. He goes, they're never going to live in a world where there wasn't cryptocurrency, where there yep. wasn't VR. Yep. Wild. Well, I saw a video just recently of a girl. I think she was in an Asian country and she just had a, a smartwatch on her wrist mm-hmm. and the store attendant was like, okay, this is how much it costs. And she literally just pressed the button on a smartwatch, held it up, the uh, store attendant scanned the watch and off she went. Wow. Just big tick popped up and off she went. You know, it was a crypto, it was a crypto ah. um, exchange, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but for her, because that's the thing, like everything we do is so colored by how we've grown up mm. and what we know and, and that kind of, that's our context. For those younger kids growing up, that's the norm. That's their context. Mm. Mm. That, the, the idea of, of of even valuing a piece of paper that's got some a number on it or some writing on it just would to them will seem so foreign. Crazy, yeah, absolutely crazy. Google Maps, uh, their augmented reality navigation is rolling out to a handful of users. So if you are a um, a local guide, um, which is the people who give loads of reviews on Google Maps, you're actually going to get a beta access to the uh, walking focused augmented reality navigation. So you can, you can see an example picture on the article, um, which is in Engadget. And yeah, it shows a map and it shows like, yeah, overlaid on your screen it shows what is in front of you and little arrows superimposed over the street so that was the original vision of google glass and it's slowly happening they said it will need more testing um but yeah it looks really cool so you i guess you point your phone yeah and it will sort of superimpose arrows over yeah. your camera feed yeah. showing which way you need to go yeah it looks it looks really cool so i mean yeah, there's times when you're trying to work out exactly where it's trying to take you on Google Maps sometimes, and this will probably help, I guess. Mm. Um, and yeah, I guess if you're, if you're in a big tour group too, you could possibly sync everyone up and say, okay, this is where we're going. If mm. you get lost, just use your Google AR mm. to get there. We'll and, all meet there. And don't forget in all of these cars, so like Google Auto or whatever it is, yep. Android Auto, so you're going to have it projected onto windscreens in yep. no time. Yeah. Yep. How cool. Yep. And you know what's going to come with that? Advertising. <laughs> <laughs> you are starting to think like a marketer. Especially like when you it. look at, I don't know if you've seen, but there's all these new um, bits of software and algorithms that can work out. Let's say you, you tell it to project a certain advertisement only on these types of spaces. Oh. So if it detects like a white space somewhere, like a white yeah. wall. It would you could say only project these things on wow. surfaces that don't mean anything else to the driver, and that's like able to be done now. I to see that. This will just be the the tip of the iceberg for what they want to do with this. So next piece of news: um, forget everything you know about three D printing. The replicator is here. So we've just watched a the, the video which we'll put up in the show notes for this thing, and I really recommend you go and 
watch this video because it it probably tells you a lot more than we could just on the audio format and you'll probably be similarly amazed when you watch the video just like we were. Um, but yeah, this is a project out of researchers in California and it's a 3D printer that creates an entire object at once rather than building it layer by layer as typical additive manufacturing devices do, which really brings a lot of what we read in science fiction about 3D printing one step closer to reality. Yeah, so essentially they take a computer model of a 3D object, they calculate what it looks like from all sides, so yeah. so and they get 2D images from each angle, so it's three hundred all 360 degrees yep. um, as 2D images. And then they put that in a projector, and then what happens is the projector casts those images onto a cylindrical container full of this resin, which solidifies under certain intensities of light. Um, so, yeah, this projector cycles through the images. The cylinder rotates each little bit. And then after a certain amount of light hits, the resin solidifies, goes under polymerization and turns into solid plastic. And then you pour away the rest of the liquid and you've got an object behind. Yeah. So if you watch the video, it shows this in action and it really is just like a, a projector, like what we project images onto with a screen and put our mm, PowerPoint mm, slides mm. up with. They literally take a projector like that and get it to project this 3D image into just a tube of this yellowy, goldy resin and over time, that becomes the 3D printed model that they want and everything else can just fall away. It's it's incredible mm. when you watch it. Um, so they did an example of the, the thinking man, um, sort of that statue of the guy with his head in his hand. But yeah, it, can, it allows you, uh, the article says, to create objects that enclose existing, existing ones. Mm. So, for example, a screwdriver handle around a, you know, another piece of metal or... Yeah, and they suggest it's, it would be good for medical devices and things like, you know, replicated jaws and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, so they're only doing it on centimetre scale at the moment, so it's not it's not doing it in a particularly big way. And they're not that exact, but they've just started doing it. So they reckon the technology is just going to evolve mm. as time goes mm-hmm. on. And, yeah, it, it's really interesting from a 3D printing perspective because I remember like 15 years ago, mate, I was looking into 3D printing and thinking it was going to be the next big thing. Yeah. I was like, this is going to be it. Uh, It's going to be a huge industry. Give it 15 years. No one's going to be making anything anymore. In the traditional way, everyone's just going to be 3D printing everything. We're waiting. Yeah, it just just hasn't. And I think part of it's because we haven't really found a material that can be all-purpose enough for the needs of the printers. Like, you know, you get get cartridge ink cartridges for your your current printers Mm. and – you get different types of ink cartridges, but that's about all you need. Like with those three different colors and a black, you can make pretty much anything you want, Mm. but we don't have the equivalent to that in real life, at least not on a commercial scale, because we don't really have a material that we can feed into it that can be repurposed and atoms can be shifted around. Or if we do, it's just not, it's just not really there yet. Um, I think once we get that, then or once we get something that can work in a different way, like what we're seeing here, we're a step closer to having like a printing store where you print a surfboard or something. I'm so ready. Yeah, it, I, I've seen it called Base in um, some sci-fi novels. Like they, or there's different names for it, but one of the ones I read, which I think was by Peter F. Hamilton, they had uh, wormholes set up on different planets and they would all they would do to go to new places would be literally take a 3d printer with this base material 
and it could wow. basically manufacture anything they needed wow. out of that, that base material. Huh. Yeah, you know, like foam for a surfboard or rubber yeah. for a whatever. Um, so it's all really just shifting molecules and yeah. atoms around, isn't it? Um, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, so we're not there yet. Maybe one day. Oh, a little update. I think we mentioned it a couple of episodes ago. Google said that they were going to bring in some code to Chrome that would have crippled ad blockers and caused the end of the world as we know it. Um, they've actually backtracked on that. So, yeah, update to that. Yeah, and in another bit of news from the security and privacy sector, the Swiss government has invited hackers to penetration test their voting system. So if you didn't know, penetration testing is um, hacking, basically. Hmm. Yeah, the public intrusion test will run from February the 25th until March the 2nd, and it'll offer cash rewards depending on what hackers are able to do. So there are a set of rules attached to it, um, which set out, sets out the basics and uh, the qualifying vulnerabilities. And yeah, the rewards go from $100 to $30,000. Yeah, so anyone wanting to participate in the test has to register in advance of the session, and that'll give participants legal permission to attack the system and enables them to receive mm. rewards as opposed to attacking the system and being guilty of a crime. Mm. So, so yeah, the, I think they said they were weakening some of the def- um, some of the regular defences that they'd had it have in place, right? So that people could go and attack the core system. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty ex- pretty interesting. It's it's just great to see that at least some people are recognising the value of having like employing the hacking community in a positive way because mm. the hacking community. Really, they're just guns for hire. Like a lot of them, th- these guys that aren't your traditional white hat hackers who do the right thing all the time, they'll just do whatever's the most profitable to them. So if you can create some monetary rewards for them to compromise your system mm-hmm. and help you improve your security, they'll generally do it. Because it's just game theory, mm-hmm. really. Like mm-hmm. as long as the incentives are there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just refreshing to see that a government is embracing this and saying, hey, Attack our system. Like, we want you to attack it so we can make it stronger. Next one. In Putin's Russia, internet logs off you. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so Russian Russia has announced plans to cut itself off from the global internet. Um, sometime before April, the Russian government is going to briefly disconnect the whole country from the internet. Yeah, so the brief shutdown is part of an ongoing effort to bolster Russia's cybersecurity, ostensibly, from foreign attacks. Um, and the upcoming sh- shutdown will test just how resilient their local networks are and how much internet traffic can slip through the cracks and outside into the, the wider internet. Mm. So, And the law will actually also direct Russian internet providers to direct all traffic through government-approved servers um, so that they can further enforce content bans according to ZNet. Yeah, so it seems like Russia are saying that we can't control our internet here. There's too many ways out. So we're going to take it offline. All the ISPs are now going to have to route through one of our approved servers or connections to the outside world. So when they turn it back on, everyone's traffic in Russia should, they hope, be running through government-approved servers Mm. or access points. So there are two sides to this. Um, what was it? Pav jumped into our group. Um, yeah. Uh, he, he mentioned this. Yeah, KGB internet, not a great idea. And uh, I think not many people would disagree with you on that. Um, pretty 
pretty horrible thing to do. Yeah, well, it, it just means that Russia's government will essentially hold the keys to the entire internet for the entire country. Mm-hmm. And they'll be able to turn it off at will. They'll be able to monitor everything. Yeah, it, it's not a good look. At the same time, to play devil's advocate, I think it was on our chat as well on the FOMO show Telegram. Yeah, so one of the network specialists at the uh, at the company I work for, he was saying that it's quite a clever move in some ways because if, for example, um, you know Russia's enemies cut off the internet to Russia, phone systems, the financial systems, all of this goes and then they're toast. Yeah. I mean, you cut the internet, you're toast. Yeah. Um, so they, he said that by bringing all of this stuff in-house, you know, your, your own internal sort of, um, you know, financial system, things like that, you're actually really sort of making yourself a lot more secure from those attacks. So, mm. yeah, they're getting two birds with one stone here, securing themselves and um, invading the privacy of all their citizens. So, yeah, good, good on you. Yeah, dogs. <laughs> Imputants Russia, internet logs off. You. And to be fair, it doesn't seem like we're that far off being here no. if, if we're not already, because I mean, it all runs through ISPs who are government controlled. Exactly. And, and yeah, if you look at, I mean, we talked about the AA bill uh, late oh, last year, yeah, earlier this year. Yeah. If you look at that, if you look at our telecommunications Great episode. Act, Which episode was that? That was episode 20, 34. Episode 34. Episode 34. Really cool. Like, Matt went through an amazing rundown of this uh, assistance and access bill in Australia, which means stuff to you even if you're not in Australia. So check it out. Yeah, it's applicable to everyone um, who uses the internet, basically, in technology. But you look at that bill and it's in some ways worse than what Russia are doing here. Mm. And you look at the Telecommunications Act and we already kind of do this here in Australia. You're exactly right. So it's not good for any of the, any of the citizens anywhere in the world, really. No, no, yeah. no. So... Hopefully, one of these blockchain projects becomes the new protocol which, with, upon which at least money sits and potentially other things as well down the line. Mm. Maybe we'll be able to take it back. Stuff like mesh networks too, like the power of mesh networks to connect people without any central point of connection essentially is yeah, going to be something that's really amazing. If we get there, big difference. It's kind of like Tor, I guess. There's like network, yeah. network effect to it. Sort of. Yeah, well, and like Bitcoin as well, I guess, too, um, in a way, because the more nodes, the more resilient the network is. But in that circumstance, how do you, let's say that goes on all around Australia or all around the world, the only way you shut that down is at the points where there's, you know, like maybe one or two connections between a whole group of people. Mm. But... How do you shut that down in like a city, for example? Um, that becomes really, really hard. Electromagnetic warfare and the rights to <laughs> use airwaves. Because then it becomes like an internet in its own right, doesn't mm. it? Like, and all you need is a few people sharing access to the net on that mesh. And, uh, and you've got a really resilient network that's very hard to censor. Isn't that so weird that you have the legal right to use or not use certain... Wavelengths. Mm. What if somebody finds there's something that's like like a wavelength? Let's call it a a surf surf length. Yeah. Will the government instantly be like, "We own this. It's illegal." Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's the issue. Like, radios can only broadcast in certain bands. Yeah, internet, same thing. But you know, if you've got enough money, like, look at five G. Mm. You know, no one's doing any research into the health 
issues with cut. that. Cut, 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 <laughs> cut. <laughs> it's okay to cook everyone from the inside out. As long as we're getting fast speeds. Bottoms up. OpenAI, the sort of research group on artificial intelligence, they built a text generator, um, which was so good, it's considered too dangerous to release. Yeah, so they've um, said that their new natural language model, GPT-2, was trained to predict the next word in a sample of 40 gigabytes of internet text. The end result was a system generating text that adapts to the style of and content of the conditioning text, allowing the user to essentially generate you know, realistic and coherent additions to whatever they're talking about. So if you were a student at uni, you could, for example, put in your previous few essays yep. and put you know, some nonsense about whatever your topic is that you're studying and it will just flow in your writing style. Yep. Sound like you come up with concepts that you seem to have come up with in your previous styles. It's a little bit uncanny, but yeah, it wouldn't be plagiarism hmm. because it'd be mimicking you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the model's a vast improvement on the first version that they did. Uh, but with every good application of a system, like you know, bots capable of dialogue and better speech recognition, um, the company also found several more that were not so good. Such as generating fake news, uh, impersonating people, or automating abusive or spam comments on social media. So when GP2T2 was tasked with writing a response to the prompt, recycling is good for the world, no, you could not be more wrong, the machine spat back the following text. Recycling is not good for the world. It is bad for the environment, it is bad for our health, and it is bad for our economy. I'm not kidding. Recycling is not good for the environment. It is destructive to the earth, and it is a major contributor to global warming. Recycling is not good for our health health. It contributes to obesity and diseases like heart disease and cancer. Recycling is bad for our economy. It increases the cost of a product and in turn the price of everything that is made with that product. Recycling is not good for our nation. We pay a tremendous price for the privilege of having the world's most advanced and efficient recycling system. Recycling is a huge colossal waste of time, energy, money and resources. And people are saying that, you know, we should have our parliament make decisions partly based on what AI recommends and predictive voting and all sorts of things. This is your God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the company that promised a one-way ticket to Mars is bankrupt. Yeah, so Mars One Ventures. You might remember they, they were the company that claimed it was going to send hundreds of people to live and die on uh, Mars, and it's now bankrupt. Yeah, so Swish Financial Notices have said that. And yeah, they were they were known for, yeah, yeah. they asked for submissions of, do you want to go to Mars yeah. and die there? Yeah. A bunch of people applied. I think the person I used to live in a house with back in the UK, he applied. Really? Didn't get it, but yeah. Yeah, I think they were going to send 30 to start with or something, weren't they? Right. Was this the one where there was talks of a reality TV show as yeah, well. Yeah, so they got, yeah, applications from people all over the world and they, yeah, they didn't manufacture any hardware for space but claimed they would, yeah, fund and purchase it with a reality TV show that would follow the candidates on their way to death. Yeah, so experts back then even speculated that a mission to Mars could potentially cost hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, and uh, two graduate students from MIT in 2014 created a report looking at the feasibility of the Mars One mission and claimed that the tech just wasn't anywhere near mature enough uh, to work and it'd require a lot more money than that 
uh, and deliveries of space spare parts uh, for it to even work. And so, mm. yeah, there was just problem after problem after problem. And it seems that the funding has just run out and they've, they've declared bankruptcy. Yeah. Well, and following on from this, I mean, speaking of unrealistic promises, Elon Musk has said that a round trip ticket to Mars will cost just $100,000. Oh, well, no, that, that was Elon saying it. So Must be true. Uh, yeah. Some people have said that it's the Fire Festival Part 2 on Twitter. <laughs> um, um, yeah, Elon said it's very dependent on volume, but he's confident, yeah, moving to Mars, return tickets, free brackets, will will one day cost less than $500,000 and maybe even below 100000 Yeah, I mean, it's all relative, isn't it? Uh, there, there would have been one time where a ticket around the world would have cost you a lot more than it does now, mm. um, especially in the very early days of plane flight mm. or back in the shipping days. I'm sure passage on a ship at one time used to cost a lot of money. Mm. Um, it's all it's all relative, I guess, if we get to the point where we have ships going regularly to Mars to and from and their main task is, I don't know, hauling cargo and they've got plenty of room for passengers, it, it may be foreseeable that tickets don't cost that much. Yeah. So yeah, he's he then said, yeah, there'll be some rapid, unscheduled disassemblies along the way, but excitement is guaranteed. Mm. Huh. The thing I like about Elon Musk though is he's he's walking his talk in so many ways, isn't he? You know, like SpaceX are sending rockets up all the time; they're pushing the boundaries. Sure, there's a couple of failures here and there, but they're to my mind the only one that's really trying to push the envelope as quickly mm. as they possibly mm-hmm. can. Yeah, because everyone else is just wanting to just make make money and hold yep. on to what they have, and you're seeing what happens when you don't move fast. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot to be said for having a visionary's approach. I mean, look at Tesla. Everyone wrote Tesla. They still write Tesla off now, but yet they're the biggest electron electric mm. car manufacturer in the world, mm. selling more and more quarter on quarter. I don't know. You can write them off, but you can't overtake them. Yeah, unless. Their batteries run out of power. <laughs> Wherever you're joining us from, uh, it's a real pleasure having you here. Uh, why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? FOMO.show slash Telegram. So in our privacy and security segment this week, we're just going to do a quick one and I wanted to talk about Facebook containers. What is a Facebook container exactly? So a Facebook container is a an add-on that's been made by... Firefox, so for their browser, the Firefox browser. And what it does is it essentially lets you say that anytime I visit Facebook, I want it to be in its own cordoned off little environment within my browser. Oh. So I don't want it to be able to access any other part of my browser. I don't want any of the cookies from it to be able to jump across to follow me around the internet. I just want everything on the Facebook page to stay only on the Facebook page and not to be able to touch anything else. And wow. the reason that's a big deal is because Facebook, when you visit Facebook, it will load your browser with a whole bunch of cookies. Mm-hmm. And these cookies will then track you around the web um, and also track you to other sites you go to, which may support Facebook in the background mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and gather as much information as it possibly can on what you're doing on the internet and report that back to Facebook. And uh, Google does a similar thing, but Facebook's is particularly insidious because when you next jump back on the platform, it'll serve you certain ads based on what you're looking mm. at and you know, it's it's all being uh, stored and kept by Facebook. So 
the uh, the Facebook container is just a great little tool to make sure that what you do on Facebook stays on Facebook and it can't watch you as you go around the rest of the web. Now, this isn't on Chrome. There may be a plugin on Chrome for it, but it, I don't, it wouldn't be made by Google. Uh, but this is actually really good because it's built into the, the Firefox browser. It's made by Mozilla. Um, so it's directly supported by the browser that you'll be using. And uh, look, just generally Firefox, I find anyway, gives you a lot more granular control over things like privacy and security. And the main reason that is, is because it's not made by Google, who are an ad company. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they make their money by collecting and selling your data. So yeah, check it out if, if you do use Firefox. If you don't, um, you could do a lot worse than just giving it a try because I, I, I find it's a really good little browser. Fantastic. We've been to a couple of events this week. Yes. So I think it started off, I went to uh, Brendan's uh, Bitcoin meetup, which was um, it was a Bitcoin SV meetup, which mm. was the other Wednesday. Really interesting. He gave, gave a really fascinating talk on the, like the history of Bitcoin and sort of more of what, how Bitcoin SV has been evolving and what the plans are there and things. So Bitcoin SV is one of the forks of Bitcoin Cash, which is one of the forks of Bitcoin. Yes, correct. Yeah. So they've gone, they're, they're all about bigger blocks, scale as far as putting information onto the blockchain, you know, um, you pay to upload. I think it's like a few few dollars for every hundred kilobytes. I think it was like a dollar for every hundred kilobytes of data that you put onto the blockchain. So then you can yeah. access that from anywhere, which is pretty cool. But yeah. Um, yeah, so he was talking about the scale and all those sorts of things. Really, really interesting. And then a few days later, there was a, I saw there was a Bitcoin meetup in town. Um, so I just said I was going to go along to that. I called you. Are you going to this Bitcoin event? You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, cool. See you there. Yeah. And so I, I, got, I made my way inside and then I was looking for you and I couldn't see you anywhere. And so I ended up just sitting down because things had already started. And then... Did you message me saying? I messaged you being because I was sitting. I was kept looking around like, where is Matt? Couldn't see you. And I messaged like, oh, are you? Are we at the same event? And you're like, I'm at the the Bitcoin meetup. I was like, I'm at the Bitcoin Cash meetup. <laughs> I thought it was really funny because you thought. You said the Bitcoin meetup. You thought you were going to the Bitcoin meetup. I thought I was, well. And then it was a Bitcoin cash meetup. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. It was just like everything that, you know, like all the controversy around Roger Ver well, with Bitcoin Bitcoin.com. Bitcoin and Bitcoin to be yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a hilarious little mix-up that kind of showed where we're at in 2019 as far as all the different varieties of Bitcoin. Well, I went around. to the wrong Bitcoin event. Um, <laughs> but, um. Yeah, no, it was, mine was good. Mine was really good. We had um, so Alex Fetsky, who is the CEO of Amber, which is a turn your spare change into crypto app. Hmm. Um, he was giving a presentation on the importance of Bitcoin and you know, why Bitcoin in 2019, essentially. And it was a hmm. really, really interesting look into the economics behind uh, what came before Bitcoin, particularly the way that we as a human civilization have developed money, changed how money works. And he kind of went through that and then went into why Bitcoin is really our first digital money, like money for the internet and why it's so important and what it's changed about the way money works and, you know, discussing about 
inflationary versus deflationary currencies and a whole bunch of different things. And then he also touched on why the blockchain element of Bitcoin is just one part of the 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 cake that makes up Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, and essentially finished off by saying that in, in his view, Bitcoin is the most solid foundation for a digital money system and it makes the most sense that eventually a lot further down the track we'll build probably nearly everything we do with some kind of reference to the Bitcoin blockchain because that'll be the unit that's being exchanged between people. Hmm. So, yeah, really interesting presentation. I think it was filmed. I'm not sure if it's up yet, but if it yeah, is up. Yeah, I did tweet him asking if it was uh, if he had the video available. He was getting um, one of his assistants to cut it together and then upload it, so it'll be awesome. up at some point. Yeah, cool. Um, fr- from the meetups I went to, the Cash and the SV meetup, yeah. um, it's, it was all about scale and it was all about the things that you could build on top you know these and yeah. um, being able to have do more with you know, scripting and tokens on top of bitcoin yeah so where does bitcoin differ from that what is there what, what are the because i I've, I've seen a bunch of different news on yeah. the regular bitcoin yeah recently but what, where's the plan for that yeah look i th- i think First of all, you got to you got to step back a little bit, and you've got to look at the different ethos of mm-hmm. the, the different projects. And to 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 me, and from what I'm seeing, it seems like the ethos of Bitcoin Core, which is the main Bitcoin, is move slow and don't break things. Mm-hmm. That seems to be everything seems to happen very gradually. Uh, they take their time with a lot of different things. They test, they test, they test because the ethos of the the Bitcoin main chain is security first and innovation second, essentially. Let's build a really sound foundation of money, make sure send, receive and store works really well. Um, and then, you know, we can start building layer twos and layer threes on top of that. Because right. um, uh, with Bitcoin, it's all about, you know, having the the chain that has the most proof of work, the yep. machine, the machines working and calculating behind that, yep. that makes it secure. Yes. And the more there is, the more secure it is. Yeah, exactly. The, 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 the more proof of work there is, the harder it is for someone to attack the network um, in, in the long term. What's happening on the network, particularly this year, is that there's the Lightning Network has kind of gone from this test, uh, this slow rolling test, because it's been tested now for probably three to four years. They've been testing Lightning. We think of Lightning and we think it's all pretty new, but it's been tested for quite a long time. So for newcomers to the space, what is Lightning? So bidirectional payment channels allow you to do uh, transactions between two parties that are not recorded directly on the Bitcoin blockchain, but essentially mean exchanging promises that have a time dimension, and then setting up this bidirectional payment channel where I say, okay, let's I'm going to put 10 euros away to communicate with this, uh, let's say it's a bartender at a bar, right? So I'm going to put 10 euros in a multi-sig account, and then we're going to set up a payment channel between us, and we're going to say, Okay, I buy one drink. That's let's say one euro. It's a very cheap drink, and um, so now I'm going to sign a transaction that says of those ten euros that we have in a multi sig together, I'm going to give one euro to you, 
and nine euros back to me. Now, hold on to that transaction because I'm not done drinking. Great. Five minutes later, I say, that was a lovely drink. I want another one. I'm going to make a new transaction. This one is going to cancel the previous transaction, which we still haven't broadcast, and it's going to say, well, now I'm going to give you two euros out of the 10, and I'm going to get a refund of eight. Now, hold on to that transaction. It invalidates the previous one. The bartender, if they want to submit it, they submit it, they get their two euros. But when they do that, I also get my eight euros changed. So I'm happy, they're happy. We can both walk away from this transaction anytime we like. And we now have transferred this money, but none of it's yet on the blockchain. Now, this is a really, really good night, so I'm going to have another drink. And now I, I sign a new transaction that says I'm going to give you three euros, you give me seven back. And we keep going back and forth like this until eventually I say, okay, I want to close my tab. The last transaction we have, maybe four, five euros in drinks, five euros refund, is the transaction that actually gets recorded on the blockchain. So we did four transactions, but only one to start and one to end were recorded on the Bitcoin blockchain. And that's really interesting because in the process of doing that, I could create as many transactions as I wanted and I could make these as small as I wanted because we're not paying a fee for them. We're only paying a fee for the final balance. So I could be transmitting very, very small amounts in this payment channel. Bidirectional payment channels are really interesting technology. But when it gets even more interesting is when you combine multiple bidirectional payment channels to create a routed network. So I'm sitting there with my friend and I'm having drinks and they're having drinks and we have two payment channels to the bar, right? And right now I owe five euros to the bar and my friend owes uh, maybe six euros to the bar and we decide to play a game of pool. And so I start a game of pool with my friend and we place a bet and we say, whoever wins, it's five euros. We're going to place this side bet on our game of pool. So we start playing pool. Great. And I lose because I, I suck at pool. Right? <laughs> so, so I lose badly. Uh, my friend might also be a hustler in pool and hiding this. So I, I lose very badly. Okay. So now I owe my friend five euros. Well, I could pay directly and start a new payment channel with my friend. But here's what I could do. I could go to the bar and say, he owes you five, or let's say he owes you six, and I owe you five. How about you change this so that he only owes you one, and I owe you ten? Great. So now we've got two payment channels. I close mine, paying extra to the bartender, and he closes and signs another transaction to pay less for my friend. Essentially, I've paid my friend, but without having any direct connection with them, right? Now, take that and imagine connecting tens of thousands of payment channels together on a network that is routed where I can basically go out and discover the network and say, that guy, I want to give him a tenth of a Bitcoin. Now, I'm not connected to that guy but he's connected to that guy, that guy's connected to this guy, this guy's connected to that guy, and I am connected to that guy. So I will give you one euro, but only if you give it to him, who only if it gives it to him, only if he gives it to my final destination. And when the euro arrives at the final destination, you get paid. 
which then means they get paid, which means they get paid, which means they get paid, which means I paid them, right? And that's Lightning Network in a nutshell, right? Lightning Network is just a series of Bitcoin transactions that we exchange among each other. And here's where it gets funky. Because the really interesting thing about this is that the the speed at which I can process these transactions, these transactions that are fully formed Bitcoin transactions, guaranteed by the Bitcoin network, any one of the parties can walk away at any time. We don't have to trust each other. We can take the last transaction, which is the most valid one. We can submit it to the network and close all the channels anytime we want. So we always have Bitcoin acting as a judge to ensure that all of our transactions we've exchanged are secure. But now we can do them as fast as we can pro process elliptic curve signatures, as fast as we can process transmitting these payment transactions. And how fast is that? Milliseconds. And we can do them for amounts that are as small as one Satoshi. So now I can transmit Satoshis in milliseconds across a network of tens of thousands of participants that are all connected at a layer above Bitcoin. So it, it's essentially just ha like having an extra set of nodes, but it's more it's more directly peer to peer, um, and it's not it's not gumming up the main network. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, for all intent for, for for all intents and purposes, and I know a couple of people have got what's called CASA nodes now, which are Lightning nodes. Mm. Um, they're saying it works really well. And you can get apps on your phone now, which mm -hmm. look really nice. Mm. And, um, but yeah, so that's that's where the, the, I guess, the layer two is for Bitcoin. But you've mentioned that Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV are also working on some layer two stuff, but they are in a way more like a layer one, I guess, because it sounds like they're making, they're building it on-chain. It seems there are two approaches from what I'm understanding with it. So Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV, um, Bitcoin Cash yeah, forked off from Bitcoin, and they bought back in a few of these things called op, op codes or OP codes, yep. which is um, additional data that you can attach to your transactions. So now with Bitcoin Cash, that they bought back in this OP return. Yeah. Or maybe they bought didn't bought maybe they didn't bring it back in but they extended that. So it's actually you can add characters of text with your transaction. So yeah. I think they increased the number that was available. Um so that you could for example put in um you know if I sent you money I could say I could maybe attach a URL of the of something that you needed to see. You could put information alongside it. Now, Bitcoin SV, having forked to get off Bitcoin Cash, has increased the amount of data that you can put in with a transaction even more, um, which allows you to do a whole lot more, uh, a whole bunch more things. So it seems that both Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV, as far as the amount of information that you can include in your transaction, is yeah. huge, which yeah. actually means that you could. Um, potentially run contracts, all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just an interesting way to use that. Now, I'm not yeah. a technical person, yeah. but yeah, there, there was both that and then they were both increasing the block size, so yeah. the number of transactions that they could fit into each block, yeah. which seems to me to be a pretty smart way of getting around a lot of the network clogging and congestion yeah. issues. And whereas Bitcoin Cash is looking at you know, scale and really tokens, which 
Bitcoin SV is also looking at, but Bitcoin SV is looking at massive amounts of data being attached to each transaction yeah. potentially. So, yeah. so that down the line you could att- you know you put big files on the blockchain and all mm. kinds of things, and you pay to get those files on there immutably, mm. um, which is. It's going to require a lot of storage space in the future. Yeah, that, that'll, that'll, to my understanding, that will kind of rule out a lot of people from hosting their own nodes. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, from from what I've heard, it's almost like that's the storage side is almost going to be separated in a way. Right. In future, because there's going to be so much information that's required. It's like a layer two. Well, I don't know how you'd call that. I don't know how it works, yeah. but um, they're both pretty fast, you know, just by themselves. Yeah. But yeah, there's this. They're now looking, at, yeah, adding tokens on, yeah. um, and even sort of smart contract languages. And they're looking, at, you know, donation buttons on the internet. You click a button, and it just sends money to the person who wrote the article. Or uh, so that's that's with Bitcoin Cash and SV, and SV is right. looking at things like embedding games on the blockchain okay. or random bits of text that you can put on the blockchain or code so yeah. it's kind of kind of pretty interesting ways of uh, of of moving forwards when they broke off from bitcoin uh, part of my confusion with bitcoin cash and bitcoin sv has been that when they broke off from bitcoin it was all about keeping bitcoin cash you know i was like you know bitcoin slowed down blocks yeah, should be bigger yeah. like uh, we just need to make it so that transactions can get through uh, it's cash again you yeah, know yeah 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 um, because that was the big problem with bitcoin at the time I mean, it hasn't been an issue for over a year now yeah. um but at the time bitcoin was very congested um and so it's just weird for me hearing it's, now that there's tokens and they're yeah. trying to run smart contracts which um like ethereum eos a lot, all of them are having major security issues with running all this stuff on chain, you know, all this extra code on chain because it drastically increases the threat surface. So just, it's just, yeah, that's one big thing I've really struggled with, with both cash and SV is that it seems like there's been a very big shift in the direction of the projects. Is that, is that the impression you're getting when you go to these meetups? Like there's, there's the, the, has the vision changed now to be a lot more encompassing? Well, yeah, it seemed like sort of the cash part was the first part, digital electronic cash. And then it's the features was the next part. Now, whichever way you look at it, yeah, it does make sense in a way, because I think once you have the sound money, yeah. you want to be able to do things with it and yeah. program it and, yeah. and things like that. So you can see that to an extent, but yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, a lot of it's a fun, it's a ethos and a fundamental difference between uh, the, the three projects, I guess. It, it, because from the from the Bitcoin side, the impression I'm getting from many of the Bitcoin proponents um, going to some of their meetups and just chatting to them is that they are a lot more about let's just if if we've got a system where money works really well, which the Bitcoin network is by far and away the most secure network for sending and receiving and storing money and mm-hmm. recording money because uh, it's got the most proof of work. We should essentially keep that as it is keep because that's just – that's money. That's all you need for money is those three things. As long as you can send it, you can receive it, you can just store it, that's great. That's it. Um, the moment you add complexity to that system and try and go further – 
then that system goes on that layer, you you drastically increase your threat model and, and your risk. And also you take a lot of people out of the ecosystem that can host the ledger themselves. So at the moment, all you need is a $20 computer and an internet connection and you can host a Bitcoin node. It's very, very low resource and you can have a complete copy of the ledger there. So if you're in an African village somewhere, you get your hand on some old hardware, you host a node. If you're somewhere in Eastern Russia, you know, you can host a node. Um, everyone can essentially be a part of the network and it works, you know, like it's, it's send, send, receive and store. Mm. Yeah. And uh, unless of course the Russian network gets shut out from everyone else and then that's a different story. So I guess what I'm seeing from, from their side is that they're saying everything else we should probably build as a layer two. We can anchor it in that, Bitcoin blockchain because that's really secure and that's mm -hmm. great. Um, but it should really just be an anchor. You know, it should just hash there every now and then because that's the most secure place in the world to hash stuff and store stuff. And we also need to use the Bitcoin units on there because it's kind of like the money of the internet. That's mm -hmm. what most people are using. Yeah, so their philosophy is a lot more about building solutions on top that just reference the chain and it seems like the other guys are saying well no we let's expand this like a great foundation there but we can in essentially increase the, increase the pipe size and give it some more functionality and do a whole bunch of other things directly there at the mm -hmm. coal face uh, now from the bitcoin cash meetup it was one of the bitcoin.com developers who was giving the talk yeah he was calling in from america on that one um but yeah, he was saying that they actually initially tried the first sort of tokens were tried on Bitcoin. So Ethereum started by being built on top of Bitcoin. But yeah. then having seen that, you know, I think it was Vitalik and, and co sort of trying to do stuff there, they actually limited Bitcoin to prevent that happening. So yeah. there's, there's all kinds of infighting <laughs> in the community and all, all sorts of things there. Yeah. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's weird because you want sound money. Yeah. But then... You know, some people will say, "Oh, well, Lightning isn't isn't sound money. That's yeah. only sound when it's confirmed on the yeah. or however it works." And there yeah. are all kinds of conspiracy theories and all yeah. kinds of things about that. <laughs> Don't need to go into that. Yeah. And then you've got others who are just like, "Wow, well, let's do um, Craig Wright's vision." And yeah. oh, it's bloody confusing. It man. is. It is. And 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 I guess where I'm coming towards it, it's 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 funny because each month you seem to get a new perspective and you seem to rethink things. And um, at least for this month, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm going a lot more towards thinking that um, all these other networks can say they can do all these wonderful stuff and they can, you know, they can have all these great dreams about all the amazing things they're going to accomplish and all the great things they're going to do on chain. But the reality is, for example, for Bitcoin Cash, that Bitcoin Core is doing 30 times the transaction volume than either of them. Mm. Um, and uh, and they said, you know, people would flock to them and they'd have all these people using them and they're just not. Um, <laughs> Ethereum, similar story. You know, they're, they're, um, yes, a lot of projects are developing for them, but the projects are trying to do things that the network just simply can't do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and so they're having their issues as well. Um, for me, in my mind, the more and more I think about it, the more I feel like maybe we are just trying to rush things a fair bit too much. Um, you look at the internet, for example. Um, the internet 
basically started in like the 60s and the 70s. That's when people started connecting computers together and sending data to each other and trying to do that at a bigger scale. It took 20 years to go from there to get to get networking to a point where it was secure enough and robust enough to begin building a, a, a wider worldwide web. I'm just trying to even get the standards and the protocols. I mean, back in the day... Anyway, sorry. I'm taking off your point. So it took 20 years. To, to even get it to a point where people were comfortable hooking their computers together in a certain way. Mm. Um, and only then did it really start hitting the point where consumers could begin using it. And that wasn't even money. And I guess one of the big things I, I took away from Alex's talk was that money has taken a really long time to evolve. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, our last 10 years is it's nothing really, you know, like to, to build an entirely new monetary system mm -hmm. uh, that's sound enough for the world to rely on. Uh, 10 years isn't enough and it's likely it's actually going to probably take a lot longer than we think it's going to take mm -hmm. to build a, a, a system that even does money well, let alone all the other stuff that we're hoping and dreaming that that um, crypto will. And so, yeah, I just, I've, I've come away from that and a few other things I've been listening to and, and hearing, thinking maybe we have just rushed all this a little bit too much and maybe we should be focusing on getting the money thing right first. Do you know what? That is actually what the Bitcoin Cash developer was saying about Bitcoin SV. Yeah. He was saying, I th he said that he thought it was a bit naive how fast they were trying to rush the growth. Yeah. When Bitcoin Cash were trying to grow from Bitcoin and then yeah. Bitcoin SV yeah. wanted to grow from that. Yeah. And both of them are all saying, yeah. Because most tech people are dreamers, you know? They mm. look at this stuff and they, they instantly expand things in their head. Um, and kind of go, oh, well, it could do this and it could do this. I'm sure the internet guys were doing that back in the, the 70s and the 80s when they were working on it. Um, but uh, this this stuff takes a lot of time and ge generally I feel like the, 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 the most robust thing, the most proven thing will often win out in these kinds of circumstances and I particularly think that's true in, with money. Um, and... So yeah, I just I, I'm in this weird spot now where I, I've been a lot more about all these new different projects and all these exciting things that are happening, and I feel like me personally, I've neglected just Bitcoin a lot because it was the incumbent, mm -hmm. it was the old thing, you know, it was the standard. But um, there's a lot of really smart people involved in it who are um, who are now more than ever reiterating the fact that this stuff takes time, and if you want. As far as a secure, robust, well-used network goes, Bitcoin is still definitely incumbent. And it's for me, I'm just finding it harder and harder to look at it and go look find anything that may take it over in the near future. I guess in some ways we're in a very impatient society where mm. we want things here and now. Yeah, we want things to be fast. And you'll probably, like, uh, I'm sure some people will say, well, Bitcoin is just making excuses for being slow yeah. and not actually keeping up to date and becoming dinosaurs very quickly. Yeah. All three of these groups that I've, uh, I've come across uh, seem to be like maximalists. It needs yeah. to be, everybody in the world needs to be using Bitcoin yeah. and then lightning transactions so that we can do it quickly. Yeah. Or everyone in the world needs to be using Bitcoin Cash or nothing else. Mm. And or everybody needs to be using Bitcoin SV. And 
at the end of the day, I don't know. I feel like there is still room for many things. I mean, yeah. there is 186 currencies that the United Nations recognise. Yeah. There's plenty of currencies. We, You know, there are hundreds and th- well, thousands of currencies now, if you include virtual currencies. Mm. Most of them will die off, but yeah. there are still reasons why you might use specific ones. You yeah. know, a privacy co- to- um, coins for certain things. Mm. Um, yeah, so it, it all depends on what it's for. Yeah. And I mean, you can't run effective smart contracts on Bitcoin Core no. at the moment. No. Um, and I don't think I'd, you know, if you were wanting to make a really high volume one that doesn't cost users, you don't want to run it on Bitcoin SV. No, no. Well, I mean, how many people are actually running smart contracts and using them in real business senses? I, I mm. feel like we haven't even convinced people that any of this crypto stuff is good money yet. Mm, mm, mm. Um, we just need internet money. People yeah, just need to yeah, use it. Like. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess the the counterpoint to to the the fractionalizing viewpoint is um, if we do really want internet money and we want it to have the characteristics we like, which is decentralization, at least a, a modicum of privacy, immutability, um, not owned by anyone then we may only get one shot at this because someone like a Facebook or a Google or or some new company may come along with a centralized alternative, which is what, what JP Morgan have been doing this week, which is saying, hey, we got a crypto too, you should all use it. And it's really just reskinning the massive issues of with our current banking system and trying to impose that on people under a new guise and make that money for the mm-hmm. internet. Um, so depending on who you talk to, some people will definitely say that we're shooting ourselves in the foot a lot by kind of diversifying 100%. so far. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when we, we, it may make, it makes more sense to kind of hone in on one system and say, okay, let's, you know, have this as the, the main part and then let's kind of branch off this and build different parts to this and, um, it's hard to know, isn't it? Because like that shirt, people will always try and do their own thing. And, and generally there's things to learn from all the different projects as well. And I can guarantee you that the cool guys are looking at the cash guys and the SV guys and they're learning things from them and vice versa. Um, so it's hard, but I, I guess overall you could say that Bitcoin and its couple of main forks are all doing pretty interesting stuff because I mean, lightning's definitely not the only thing that Bitcoin's doing. There's, um, there's a few different privacy initiatives that they're building on top of the top of it at the moment. And, uh, there's other stuff going on. Um, and same thing with cash and SV. It seems like there's a lot of new stuff that's (laughs) coming out of those projects as well. None of which I'm probably doing justice, but at the end of the day, I think we, there almost has to be the ideological point for a lot of people. I think the more people sort of take a look at what governments are doing and what people in power are doing with the money system, fundamentally, yep. there has to be an ideological side of things. If we're like, oh, crypto can work with the government and permissions and all this stuff, it's almost naive as to the religion of what government is. Yep. I mean, it worships, you know, some sort of mythical god of, you know, this... The state. The state, The flag. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah. But at the end of the day... A lot of this is down to the institutions that for years have been trusted, quote unquote, with yeah. our finance have shown themselves repeatedly to not deserve that trust. Yeah. 
And we have to trust that they're not printing billions and inflating mm. by printing all of this nonsense money out of midair. Yep. We don't know how much is happening and they have no trust. And also, if these, what, 12 people, like the Federal Reserve meet, decide what they're going to set the, like, and manipulate the markets at. Yep. And then people that they know can trade off. This, they, these, it's corruption from the very core. Yep. And systems that we have now attract corruption. Yep. Decentralization, that needs to be the, the key point for a lot of people, is that yep. when we take away the power from organizations like that yep. and decentralize it, so there isn't somebody who can really climb to the top unless you... Yep. Like There are yep. ways that you can break it, yep. but... Yeah, and, we and, need to break and, that. And that was the beauty of, of what Satoshi Nakamoto did with Bitcoin, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Because not only did he, she, it create a, a system whereby money could be decentralized and could be validated using public key cryptography and um, and hashing and all, all the algorithms and all the different things that go into a blockchain, mm-hmm. um, time stamping and hashing. But then he, she, it stepped aside. It. You know, Satoshi stepped aside and said, it's yours now, internet. We've got the mechanisms to come to consensus about decisions that need to be made to change things. You can fork it if you want, take it in your own direction, um, but it'll work and it's robust. And I'm, I'm, we don't, we don't want a controller of this network because that's what we've had with all our other financial Mm -hmm. systems and it doesn't work. And so this system really is money for the commons you know it, it's money how it should be money is a it's a unit of exchange between people and alex in his talk was talking about another another guy who i've, I've forgotten his name he's from he's from uh queensland here uh, near where we live and he said that money is essentially crystallized life energy it oh that guy the, from the um, awakening podcast yeah yeah right? yeah yeah, yeah. Did you, well the video yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i saw yeah, that yeah, the other yeah, day yeah. Yeah, which which I which like I think was a brilliant explanation yeah, because it yeah. really is it's your blood, sweat, tears, effort, thought, energy, all boiled down to a unit of exchange. You know, it represents a certain amount of energy and time and blah blah blah. And that like that crystallized life energy, you should not be told how much that is worth by a, a centralized entity. A centralized energy should not be able to print more of that crystallized life energy just because they choose to mm. it, it should be an instrument of the commons just like water is an instrument mm. like mm-hmm. no one can i mean it, it's 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 not as true now because we do get supplied our water and generally we pay it for rates and blah 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 but in in a, in a water really sh- it comes out of the sky you know it's just something that's there um and same way that money should really just be a, a open source. He's free of cor- it's money that is free of corruption at the source. You yeah. know, it's not created through some kind of because there's nobody who has advanced knowledge of what's happening with yeah. it, as far as I'm aware. Well, the rules are just set. Like that's it. You know, at, at all other units of exchange in our society, the rules aren't set there for everyone to see. There's a few men and women behind closed doors who make decisions every year about how much to print and who to give that money to before inflation, quote-unquote, kicks in. And that means that what we do is worth a little bit less or a lot less every single year. And we don't have that with Bitcoin. Bitcoin, the rules are the rules. And that's it. There's no argument. It's just maths. There's no arguing with the rules. And that's what matters with this because... 
it's it, and, and there's, yeah, there really has to be you know maybe it's just a few more economic crashes and all that sort of thing but at the end of the day when PayPal or um, or MasterCard or Visa can block my transaction because they don't agree with the person I'm sending money to yeah because of somebody else's decision on how I can spend my blood sweat and tears and my money yeah if I can't send that to a publishing organization or a, an activist yeah I'm not free to do what I want with my money and that is pretty that is pretty dangerous now even if and it's you- not money is it? It's not. It's not a purely a unit of exchange that crystallizes your life force. It's something else too. Whether that, whether you call that um, a means of control, mm. whether you, whether you call that um, manipulation, mm-hmm. um, there's there's a bunch of names you could give to it. But there is something else, like. You're not just transferring a unit of exchange. You're mm. also transferring something else with it. Or you're buying into something mm. else mm. by using that unit of exchange. And that's the problem. And all you need to know is your private key. You memorize that. You travel across a border. You haven't taken any money with you. Yep. But you put that private key back in and you've made millions. Yep. Well, it's, it, it, it really is internet money, isn't it? Because it can be anywhere in the world. Yeah. Borders don't matter. Yeah. You don't need to use any networks to transfer it from one jurisdiction to another. No one can shut your account off like banks currently can, you know. Mm-hmm. Look at what happened with Venezuela. I think we covered it last episode that mm-hmm. they had, was it gold held somewhere or they had yep. Uh, yep. Yep. a certain amount of money that equated to that amount of gold and they went to withdraw it and the... The, the bank or the people they were storing it with who were, I think, an English organisation just said, nah, sorry, you can't have it. And they were crying outrage almost, you know, fairly. Yeah. Equally, this same, the same government in Venezuela was calling people who are using Bitcoin terrorists. Yeah. 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 But the IRA, yeah. I well, it's, it's just the problem tying money up mm. with institutions yep. and governments. Yeah. Yeah. It's not where money should be. Worth hedging your bets. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's just – and there's only 21 million of it. Like talking about Bitcoin, I mean, I know there's others out there, yeah. but like there's a fixed supply. Let's say, for example, that the derivatives bubble yeah. of the trillions of risk that's in these random financial products that lots of us don't understand, just products based off other financial products. Yeah. If these products – let's say there's a little bit of a pop in that – bubble as some people might call it um, or the car industry in America or the housing industry in Australia or any of these areas and let's say they all happen around about the same time those currencies would be well the US dollars could be very slightly different but people are not well off Mm. and when you can't buy as much with your money you would like to have had something that was worth just a little bit more than that and you don't have to have everything in there but I think it is yeah, worth it on ideological reasons. Not making much sense. Terrible for a podcast, but yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's completely right. I think I think what you're saying is that it's not a sure bet, but it's a decent bet. Mm-hmm. Everything seems to be trending the right way. And like we we're talking about at the start, the top of the podcast, the people that are growing up these days, cryptocurrency for them is not a new thing. It's not something they'll be uncomfortable with. Um, they'll be quite comfortable with it. 
And I think to them it's going to be quite attractive as well because it, because it is digital money. It makes a lot more sense in the context of their world. It's not these old institutions who are still operating like it's 30 years ago and for, every, for them everything is, has a lot more friction. It's just internet native money. Like Jack um, Dorsey, is it Jack Dorsey? Yeah. Um, said on the Joe Rogan podcast, you know, it is literally internet money. Yeah. And I think everyone should really get behind that, you know. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. In a big way. Like I think it is It is probably the most important thing for our generation. Like if we can, if we can be the generation of people that gets money right mm-hmm. after centuries of getting money wrong and finally give money back to people. Yeah. Like the, like – have a have a money for the commons solve a fundamental problem in our society yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, like if that's what our generation's remembered for holy crap man like that is like instead of bombing countries and you know or or invading country or whatever like if that's Just throw some bitcoin at them if, yeah if that's what our gener- generation's remembered for then that would be awesome mm. it comes back to the fact that we need to make sure we're using it Mm, mm, we need to make sure we're helping other people get get on board, and we need to, yeah, just do what do our little bit to to push things along. It's so right for so many reasons, yeah. and, and it does matter. Yeah, it really does matter. So yeah, pretty excited. Buy Bitcoin. Do you know someone who might enjoy this? Please feel free to share the podcast with them. Uh, you can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. You can find us at YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. And I still haven't put any episodes up there recently because <laughs> I still haven't got internet. Anyway, thanks so much for joining us. Um, wait, what was I saying? <laughs> That's it for us here at the Phone Show. If you enjoy the show, please feel free to give us a rating and uh, do subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. There's a word that you they have. have for the- you have much chutzpah. Chutzpah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. we have the chutzpah. Very, very much chutzpah. Yes, uh, <laughs> 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 oh, they're like, oh, consent of the government. Do you know what? Forty percent of people oh, go out there. Let's just say there's no rules or anything in society, and then forty percent of the people in this society suddenly say, "Okay, this is what the government is. This is who's leading it. This is what's happening." Yep. And the other sixty percent of people are like. Mm, we didn't vote for this. And they're like, well, we got the majority. It's like, majority of what? Like, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and the guns. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, consent of the government, it just is a complete aside, is such a myth. If you're governed, it's not consent. It's not consent, <laughs> you know? You can't, like, it's like saying slaves are c- consenting to being slaves, you know? Like, they don't have a choice in the matter. Mate. Like, <laughs> well, I, didn't, mate. I didn't pop out of my mum's womb and, and raise my hand and say, I give consent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's a completely different. Sorry.